Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this really is the radio show that does go out all around the world. And uh, we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. We're pretty proud of that. We're in our fourth year, so that's a fair while, and uh, having a lot of fun doing it. We had a lot of emails during the week about my discussion last week of the uh, Kisaguro think tank that uh, I was the moderator of in Sao Paulo last week, and uh, many of you thought it was a great idea and wanted to know more about how to organize this sort of a think tank for your own business. Well, the best way to do it is to hire me. (laughs) But failing that, next week I will um, talk you through it from start to end, how it works, uh, how the moderator has to... um, has to pull it all together, and um, so that's next week. Apple earnings for the third quarter of 2014 came out yesterday, and the big number everyone's been waiting for was the iPhone sales, and they certainly didn't disappoint. It was a monster, and and, uh, this is Apple's most important and most profitable business, and it was fantastic. Apple sold 39.3 million iPhones last quarter and uh, up 16%. That's a, that's a pretty good jump in a market where, um, you know, it's very competitive now. Samsung's in there belting on the door. iPads were pretty disappointing with only 12.3 million units sold, which was down 13%. But overall, Apple's revenue was $42.12 billion for the quarter up 12% year over year, and they also moved 5.5 million Mac units, which was also up 21%. But this is the part that I love. Their gross margin, 38%, which met expectations. December quarter revenues are projected to be about $65 billion, which is up about 12%. You know, I'm with Carl Icahn. You know, there was a... A fair bit of fuss a couple of weeks ago when Icahn said that um, Apple is an undervalued stock and was worth $200 a share. Well, I'm inclined to think that, I don't know, about $200 a share, but I do think it's an undervalued stock. And uh, just my opinion, I've been wrong many times before. Now, news has just leaked out that um, Fitbit's new fitness tracker is coming with a larger screen and can measure your heart rate. Now, apparently, and this is leaked information, don't forget, Fitbit is reportedly planning to release three new wristbands sometime pretty soon. The Charge, the Charge HR, and the $249 Surge. And the Surge sounds as if it's going to be the high-end model of the three. And Fitbit's referring to the device as the Superwatch rather than a smartwatch. So while the Charge and the Charge HR will function similarly to um, their current fitness bands, and they're pretty cool too, the Surge comes with built-in GPS support 
and a larger screen than the other wristbands and it will be able to continuously measure your heart rate through a new system Fitbit calls Pure Pulse. Of course, other features include all your regular stuff, the ability to display calls and text from your phone, track your steps, distance, floors, climbed, and active minutes. You know, so if you're a fitness buff, it sounds like a must. So keep your eyes open for that. The new Fitbit Surge. Social media is still going from strength to strength. However, the demographics of who's on what social met- network, they're changing with the older social networks. They're reaching maturity. And the newer social messaging apps are really gaining young supporters fast. Now, a new report from BI Intelligence shows how social media demographics are still changing. There were seven major takeaways from the report. Firstly, Facebook still skews significantly female. No surprise there, I don't guess. Um, Women are much more, well, not much more, but more likely to use Facebook by about 10 percentage points, which I guess is is a fair whack. Facebook remains the top social network for teens. Nearly half of teen Facebook users say they're using the site more than they did last year. And Facebook has more daily teen users than any other social network. Remember that crap not long ago about how everybody was turning off Facebook? Where does that sort of bollocks come from? You know, it's just drivel. It's probably started by competitors. You know, I was looking at some figures the other day that said most of the the complaints that are registered on the web about companies are put up by competitors. They're not put up by Um, customers who are pissed off. They're just competitors trying to cut the legs out from under you. Now, teens now describe Instagram as most important, while Facebook and Twitter lost ground on this measure. The survey also found that 83% of teens in wealthy households are on Instagram. LinkedIn's actually more popular than Twitter among adults. Uh, but, you know, their core demographics are those aged between 30 and 39. They're people who are trying to get on in their careers. And, um, you know, I'm past that age bracket, but I use LinkedIn all the time. And um, not surprisingly, LinkedIn's also got a pronounced skew towards well-educated users, you know, people like me. <laughs> it's a fantastic tool. And just recently I was uh, doing some recruiting for a company in um, – South America, and I used LinkedIn, ran a couple of ads, $195 an ad, which is terrific, and received 270 really well-qualified applicants. It was extraordinary. I don't know of any other vehicle where you can get that sort of response. Now, Twitter's begun to skew strongly towards male users, where previously mm, was pretty even but now skewing male, and uh, nearly 50% more men than women use Twitter. There you go. Now, I would have thought, because Twitter's sort of a gossip thing, isn't it? And uh, I would have thought that um, more women would have used it, but no, 50% more men. 
And YouTube reaches more adults aged 18 to 34 than any single cable television network. Nearly half of the people in the 18 to 34 age group visit YouTube. It was rated by millennials as the top place to watch content ahead of digital and TV properties like um, Facebook and ESPN. Hmm. Snapchat is the youngest social network of all. More than 60% of Snapchat users are in the 18 to 24 age group compared to 28% of Instagram users. So Snapchat's great, despite the fact that, don't forget, if you go and put your privates up on Snapchat and think it's going to disappear in whatever amount of time, think again. Don't forget, people have hacked it. And so the privates that you wanted to send to the significant person you wanted to um, get into the knickers of today, those photos could be around forever. And I'll guarantee you that they'll last the length that the relationship would have lasted or more. Anyway, so while the demographics of social media may be shifting, there's no question that the reach and influence is continuing to increase beyond that of any other communication vehicle. It's phenomenal. Other good news this week, in my opinion, is that the British government's finally taken action to combat an issue that needs to be controlled. You know, I'm all for free speech, but I think there has to be some limits on the miserable bastards who just want to hate you know, in the UK, people found guilty of internet trolling could be jailed for up to two years and under new government proposals th that followed a couple of high-profile cases of abuse on Twitter. So there's been increasing concern in Britain about the growing scourge of these internet trolls who just do nothing but post hate-filled messages on social media and they threaten their targets. So, you know... I mean, even the parents of missing girl Madeline McCann, you know, they're victims. Now, I don't have any candle for Madeline McCann's parents. I think leaving your kids at home in a foreign country um, alone while you go out to dinner when the kid's small is bloody irresponsible to say the least. However, they don't deserve to be um, attacked on Twitter, and a guy was jailed for 18 weeks for their campaign of hatred. So there's no question that these internet trolls are just, they're brainless cowards, and they're poisoning the greatest communication tool ever created. You know, if, if it was face-to-face, -face, we wouldn't permit such abusive and threatening venom, would we? And there's no place for it on social media either. So the British government's determined to quadruple the current six-month sentence to address the uh, actions of these morons, and I am all for it. Go, guys. And uh, these cowards use anonymity to threaten and abuse their victims. You know, they cause serious psychological harm, and, you know, they threaten these people with um, physical harm. So, you, you know, God, it's truth. So normally I'm on side of freedom of speech campaigners. However, this time I have no sympathy for their argument argument that um, criminal sanctions should be the last resort. Screw these creeps. Let's throw them in jail where they belong. I'm tired of people who do not give to society. They take, 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 and they do the, their best to spoil the pleasure for everyone else. For those of you who want to pick a fight with me, I am ready. 
And while we're throwing these creeps in jail, we should also have their friends who vandalise and who graffiti everywhere. We should have them join them. I don't cop this underprivileged youth excuse or justifying graffiti by calling it urban art. You know, I grew up in an inner city gang riddled suburb and so did many of my friends. We grew up to make positive contributions to society. Oh, well, I think (laughs) this is a positive contribution. We We didn't just take the easy way out. My view, throw the bums in jail. Sooner the better. Well, the silly season's not far away and it represents for many retailers, geez, it's their do or die moment. If they can't make it in the next little while, next eight weeks or so, they're buggered. And we've got to remember that in recent years, all the growth's been online. So it's estimated this year there'll be $100 billion in online sales in the first quarter. That's a 16% increase over the same period last year, while the overall retail sales are only projected to grow 4%. So again, online is going to be cutting the bricks and mortar retailers, eating the bricks and mortars retailers lunch. So there was a new report out this week, and some of the key points from the report were that, um, firstly, mobile commerce growth is explosive. Purchases made using a smartphone or a tablet rose 48% year on year to about $8 billion. That's three times faster than desktop-based e-commerce. And it's actually the fastest increase in mobile commerce spending since the first quarter of 2012. Secondly, the influence of the online channel extends to offline sales. The majority of all consumer purchases are either influenced by online research or actually occur online. That's according to Forrester. But there is good news for bricks and mortar enthusiasts in that traditional retailers are finally learning how to use e-commerce. Growth in e-commerce sales finally stabilised in the second quarter of 2014 at an average of 22% at the top retailers, which include Nordstrom's, Gap, Walmart, etc. That means these guys are actually growing faster with um, e-commerce than the industry at large. Fourthly, mobile is allowing traditional retailers a new chance to catch up using smartphones and tablets as shopping devices. You know, that's a pretty new trend. And legacy retailers are using them to catch up to the original e-commerce giants. For example, Target's audience is more mobile-centric now than even Amazon's. So that's a big surprise. Finally, watch out for Google, Amazon and other tech companies to have a greater presence this holiday season when it comes to delivering packages. Everybody is gearing up to handle more of their own logistics by leveraging their same-day delivery services. So the big focus this Christmas, and I suspect for the next couple of years for both online and and bricks-and-mortar stores, is the rush to get packages not only delivered on the same day, but within hours of purchase. By this time next year, we should have drones delivering purchases. So it really will be a battle royal, and I'm all for it. I think it's fantastic. There's a company called South Beach Skincare in Florida, and they appear to be either hopelessly inept at best, 
or they're operating a total scam at worst. Now, let me tell you our experience. They advertise that they have an extraordinary proven skin care product. They will send you a free sample if you pay just $1.25 postage. So we ordered the sample to try the product out. Then we receive an unauthorized charge on our credit card for about $200. This was several weeks ago. We contacted them immediately and asked for a refund. Firstly, they told us that they'd sent a complete pack which is what they said we'd ordered. Of course, this was total rubbish. This is South Beach Skin Care in Florida. Then they said the post office had tried to deliver the package, but we weren't home. So we contacted the post office and they had no record of such a delivery. So we sent South Beach Skin Care several emails and made several phone calls to them and they finally admitted in an email that we didn't receive or have the product. So despite this admission, they will still not refund our money. So every time we received an email from Gil, I think his name's Guillermo, who is supposed to be the customer support team at South Beach Skin Care, he just ducks the issue or he needs to speak to his superior. However, nothing at all ever gets done about refunding our money. So we checked out South Beach Skin Care on the Complaints Board website. There are a huge number of people with exactly the same problem. They ordered a sample. They received an invoice for nearly $200. They were supposedly sent a full pack, which they didn't get, and they can't get their money back. The word used in complaint after complaint after complaint was that South Beach Skin Care is a scam over and over again. Many people have been billed every month and some people have even had to cancel their credit cards to stop being billed. Many people said that they should be brought up on fraud charges. So if you've had the same experience with South Beach Skin Care, please contact me and we'll get something done about them. And if you haven't dealt with them, you're very lucky. And for Christ's sake, don't deal with them. Okay, so you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. We're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or we'll email you directly. Make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries every month. So Go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and sign up now. I'm going to be back in a moment with a discussion on how to increase the performance of your email marketing. My guest, Nikki Vescovi, is a powerful communications expert who shows how you can not only dramatically change your business, but also change your life. Nikki's trained some of the most powerful people in the world to be effective communicators. Not surprisingly... She's an expert in neuro-linguistic programming, of which I am a phenomenal supporter, and she works with companies all over the globe. Now, I'll be back with Nikki in just a moment.
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we interview people who achieved great success and people that are making a big change in the world of business. One of the problems that we talk about on this program is the lack of training that business people receive, both at the top of the ladder and at the bottom of the ladder. Um, interesting, looking at the figures about um, how many senior executives do any training whatsoever after they leave university. It's about 9%. So 91% of executives get no training in anything after they leave university. And yet the world's changing dramatically and and there's a, a whole set of skills that we need that we don't get taught. And there's no doubt in my mind that the, the greatest problem that's facing the world right at the moment or throughout history, is our inability to communicate well. And it doesn't matter whether this communication takes place in the home or whether it's at the government level, domestically and internationally, or whether it's in the workplace. In the main, we are appalling communicators. And the best leaders are great communicators. The people that make a difference are great communicators. The happiest families, they're those who communicate. And being an excellent communicator is not just having a great vocabulary, it's about understanding the other person's point of view, understanding what makes them tick, saying the right things in the right way at the right time, as my guest would say. Now, I don't think too many people would dispute the fact that, irrespective of your politics, Bill Clinton is a great communicator. And the same can be said for Jack Dorsey, who, as you know, co-founded Twitter, or um, Marissa Mayer the CEO of Yahoo, these people get things done and they bring people along with them because of their ability to not only communicate but to connect emotionally and motivate people. My guest today is Nikki Vescovi, who incidentally has spent quite a lot of time in Australia and she is a very powerful communication expert who shows you how you can not only change your business and 
not only your business, but your whole business, but also your life. Nikki's trained some of the most powerful people in the world to be effective communicators. And uh, we've spoken on this program a lot about NLP, and not surprisingly, Nikki is a neuro-linguistic programming trainer and a master practitioner. Although she's headquartered in Los Angeles, Nikki works with corporations and different cultures right throughout the world. Now, this is the bit I need to talk to her about. Nikki said she learned to be to master disaster after a whole family was hit by a drunk driver, a plane crashed into her front room, and a truck drove over the top of her car while she was in it. <laughs> this is why I chose to do this interview over the phone. I didn't want to be in the same room with her just in case, you know. <laughs> Make, don't walk under any ladders. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Thanks, Bob. It's great to be with your, your listeners today and to be with you. So, um, There's so much stress and challenge in business today. Uh, so many people from the top of the corporate ladder to the bottom, they wake up every day confronted with the stress of simply surviving, whether if you're a CEO that's keeping your job or whether if, if you're not, it's paying your bills. It's just constant stress. Now, you've suffered some pretty traumatic events, um, plane crash, corporate layoffs, divorce, your whole family being run over by a drunk driver. I don't mean to be laughing, but <laughs> God's truth. Yeah, you seem to remain, you know, you're very positive. How do you do it? How can we really stop stress and, and start living? Yeah, I think uh, it's a really good question for us in the world we find ourselves in today. And the stress that we face isn't going to stop, obviously. Part of being alive is having that stress. So it's silly to say that stress is ever going to disappear. In fact, they, they once asked Norman Vincent Peale, who wrote the book, The Power of Positive Thinking, about, you know, where should I go if I want to get rid of stress? And he says, well, you really want to know. And the young gentleman said, yeah, I, I want to get rid of it. He said, well, well, then I'll take you where it is. And he actually took him to the graveyard. So I think <laughs> we're all, we're all going to have it. It's part of our life. It's more of a question of how do we effectively deal with it and how do we use the stress to motivate us rather than having it hold us back or prevent us from doing the things we're capable of doing. So it's really about how do we perceive what's happening for us because people can see an event occur and some will say, oh, God, I'm so stressed by this. And others won't even find it stressful at all. In fact, in 29 years of training and working with individuals, I have actually found people who don't even see stress when yeah. something occurs. So, and I'm sure you've seen that too, Bob. So it's really the ability to shift it in our mind's eye and see it from a different perspective and be able to analyze it differently. When, when the plane crash happened for me, and I was, I was actually a college student when, when the plane crash happened, it literally I was asleep on a Saturday morning. And you can imagine on a Saturday, if you're in college, yeah. Um, yeah. where you might have been the night before. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> probably had a really good time as I did. And it was a Saturday morning, quite early in the morning, about 1044 actually when this occurred. And I'm asleep in bed completely out. The, the room starts to shake, and it was in Ohio, and I thought, God, you know, it's an earthquake. And then I thought in my mind, God, this is Ohio. We don't have earthquakes in Ohio. So I started to actually fall back asleep, and then a few seconds later, there was this giant explosion, and I, I was like, oh, my God. And I, I was living with my sister at the time, so I thought, my sister, she must have blown the furnace or done something. <laughs> so I ran to the front 
door, the door that led from my bedroom into the front room. And as I opened the door, it was literally like opening um, an oven. And and when you open an oven when it's super hot, you can feel that heat, you know, smack you in the face. And luckily, I mean, I'm fairly blind, so I couldn't see much. Mm -hmm. But I could see that the whole front room was literally an inferno. And I had another roommate, and she's screaming, get out of here, get out of here. And um, I just grabbed a robe, a blue robe, threw it on. And luckily, there was a back door because it was a two-story wooden complex. The people, what had happened is they picked up this plane nearby, and they'd they'd taken off with the plane, and it literally landed in my front room, um, and I was in the bedroom. So I'm literally feet away from where this happened, you know. So you um, you now sleep with one eye open. Well, you know, I think if, at first, you know, and it's it's like anyone that's gone through traumatic events, and we all have them, whether it's layoffs, whether it's, you know, having losing someone you care about, whether it's, you know, all the challenges we have in business and how am I going to keep this business going, whatever it is, you, you play that in your mind's eye again. But actually, as I look back on it, I was so grateful for, for the actual event to occur, and people say, how what do you mean? Be, how can you be grateful for losing everything you own when you're in college? Because I wanted to go into advertising at the time, and I lost everything in my portfolio. Yes. But I realized that it really wasn't about what you had. It was about the people in your life. And I had people that were in the local community. I'd never met them. And they just came out of nowhere and, and helped myself and my sister. And, and it was just such an amazing thing to think in, in the middle of what seems like the worst time in your life. You've lost everything. That yeah. literally you'll get support from from so many different places you couldn't even imagine. And and for me, that's been really significant in the remainder of my career because it's taught me that people can take away whatever I have, but I, I have my own inner strength that can help me turn things around and see the positives in it. So, you know, that kind of got me on this course of looking for how do you really manage your mental state? How do you learn that when a bad thing happens, there's good in it? And equally, which is a concept called equilibration, how do you look at a really good thing and see the bad things that happen because of a good thing? Because we get so infatuated with having certain things that we don't always look at both sides of any situation we're in. Yeah, well, I I do the... 10, 10, 10 rule or mm. a version of it, you know, will this be important in 10 seconds? Will it be important in 10 minutes? Will it be important in 10 days? Will it be important in 10 weeks? And will it be important in 10 months? And usually the answer is yes, it'll be important in 10 seconds, but in 10 minutes it'll still matter a bit, but in 10 days it's not going to matter, so I'm not going to worry about it. Um, yeah. But I must admit there never seems to be enough time to get anything done uh, all day today since I got up early this morning. I've got a big day today and right. I, I just feel so tense, not tense, but anxiety about how the hell am I going to get everything done today? Right. So how can you really help increase your productivity? Yeah, yeah. I know it's, it's a good question because I think we're, we're faced with doing more with less time and people's expectations are so great. I mean, it's really funny when you look back over our careers. They said at one time that when you have a fax machine or we have email, they thought it was going to reduce our working week, you know. <laughs> and we know, if anything, it has doubled, you oh, know, the doubled. expectations, tripled. Well, I, used right? to get, I used to get about 10 faxes. Now I get about 500 emails. Right. And then the thing is that once a person sends a message, they really believe you've gotten that message instantaneously. Yeah. And the expectation is they want a response straight away. 
So I've kind of used the vacation rule for myself because the day before I go on a vacation, I seem to be in compl- incredibly productive. I seem to say, okay, that can wait, that can wait, that can wait. What, it's kind of like your 10-10-10 rule. What yeah. do I absolutely have to put first? Yeah. What's most critical um, and also what's really important for me to take at, a look at, not just the critical things. The critical things are going to get done. But if I do one important thing, what's really going to be important for me to work with and look at today? So if I often take that strategy when I'm really under the gun, looking at that pile of work. Probably you go back to the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle. Yeah. If I look at 20% of that, which 20 is really going to give me the most return on my investment? Because we're not going to get to everything. Our to-do lists just get longer and longer. Yeah, but what's really going to drive the results? Because people pay us for results, not to get things done at the end of the day. So what's going to drive my results? I worked with the gentleman a few years ago. He's kind of an interesting guy. He was a former Marine, so hated to give things up. And we were kind of uh, working on growing his business. And he said, I really want to grow this business. I'm at about $2 million right now. How could I grow it? And so as we were coaching together, I said, tell me a little bit more about how many clients you currently have. And he had this huge list of clients, hated to give anything up. Knowing he was a Marine, I kind of had to talk to that, but I also had to talk to his desire to have success. And I said, you know, which of these do you really work with? And somehow in working together, I was able to persuade him um, to actually release some of those accounts to other people. Sure. And through shifting the focus, he was able to grow his business about 600%. So he was doing about 12 million where he'd been doing 2 million before. Yeah. So sometimes it, it kind of is counterintuitive. We want to hold on to everything, but sometimes just releasing things and focusing on where you're going to get the biggest results will make the biggest impact for us on a daily basis. It's just staying consistent with those um, those key things. Now, keeping employees motivated and productive, that's hard. (laughs) Particularly millennials who, rightfully in my view, are much more demanding of employers and and they want meaningful work and they're very, very demanding. And if you you don't satisfy them, they leave. They'll go Mm -hmm. somewhere else. So how do you keep um, employees particularly I guess, the, the younger generation, um, motivated and productive? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question as we start to think about it, Bob, and it really ties, does tie to the millennials. And at the same time, even can tie to older people in our market segments that we're dealing with. It's how do I reach them at a deeper level so that they're really going to be listening to me and understanding that I can see where they're coming from. So what we've been finding is really understanding a person's values right. can really make a huge difference, and it really does drive behavior. We were working with um, actually Harley Davidson a few years ago in Australia, and they were developing a new service center, and it was going to be really exciting. And we were dealing with some of the people, kind of old school people, who had a lot of newer people on their newer people joining their teams. And yeah. what they were able to do is to really coach those people to be able to really listen for what their employees were saying. And as they really listened to what values they were speaking of in their conversations, just an an ongoing conversation, they could really tap into how they were going to need to position things slightly different. Because we often think people are so much like us that when we're looking at something, we only see that one perspective. When we can sort of step out of that perspective see the other person's perspective, position things in a way that, you know, what's really in it for them, 
then we can start to see that shift occur. And that happened for the, the, the gentleman that I was working with at Harley-Davidson. He was able to connect with this younger guy and get him to drive incredible results. And you can even use this when you're coaching people on a management team. We were working with another team, and I was doing a sales training for their group. And as we were doing the sales training, they, um, one of the executives said to me, hey, we've got this guy. We want to make him a sales manager. We're not really sure about it. Would you you know, just have a chat with him and see what you think? So I, I went over and wanted to understand his values, and I learned a great question that understanding values is, um, you know, what's important to you? So I, I kind of sat down with the guy and said, hey, tell me a little bit, of, you know, when you have spare time, what do you like to do? And he said, oh, I love golf. I said, oh, really? Tell me, what is it about golf you love? So he said, well, I love golf because when I golf, it's just me. I'm in charge. There's yeah. no one else. I control what happens. I well, you wish you control what happens. Well, what was that? You, <laughs> you wish, wish you could control what happens. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, I, th- I think that's even a misnomer for him. But he was. <laughs> it was really funny because we, as we had this very brief, two or three minute conversation about golf, I was able to uncover very quickly what he valued, what was important. That really he wasn't a team player. He didn't want to be in a team. He was really just an individual performer. And sometimes we, we, you know, incentivize people who get great results. We make them managers when really being a manager isn't in in their value set and probably won't be. Now, you could shift someone over and, and help them become better at it, but it's probably not going to be what they're going to do the best because they're really, this guy was an individual performer. So really listening and talking to values, understanding values, stepping away from our own values seems to really help in connecting with any generation. Yeah, that I think that's a really good point. You know, because a lot of people think they listen, um, and what they do is actually listen to the words, but they don't actually hear what people are saying. And um, I often say that there's a big difference between listening and hearing. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, it's important to be able to hear what people are actually saying. And sometimes the words um, don't necessarily exactly reflect what they're saying. Yeah, and there's two parts. I think we have to listen at that deeper level of what's going on between the lines and also at the same time listen for the actual words they do use because their words are going to be powerful to them. So um, we've been recently coaching some people in sales, and what we're finding is when they can actually repeat the person's words back to them Mm. and understand them at a deeper level but use the person's words rather than paraphrasing or using our words, then it does actually resonate with the individual. And if you're face-to-face with them, you'll actually see the person light up as you use their words. I was actually just doing a training last week, and it happened as someone was describing their program and what was important to them, and they just lit up. And it was amazing to see that something as simple as listening, and, you know, I'm big on taking notes. I'm old school, but when you can can use the words back, however you do that, and still understand that deeper level as you're talking about, that can help to make that deeper connection. Well, I think I think, in, of course, that's NLP, and, and one of you know, I think NLP is one of the greatest tools that anybody can use. Not only people who yeah. who are in sales, but anybody. You know, we all need to be able to communicate better yeah. and to be able to speak um, in the in the same mode and terms as the person you're speaking with and reflect their um, their their behaviour, if that's the right word, is so critical to being able to be a good communicator. Yeah, yeah, you know, they always say people like, we like people who are like us. And yeah, you, you know, you, you yeah, go we do. To, 
you know, any event, you'll naturally gravitate to people. And you'll, if you think about it, why am I doing this? You'll find that there, there's something in them that you feel drawn to. And it's something that might be like something you would do. So the more that we can kind of step out of ourselves and observe ourselves and observe others and see how can I connect with this person at a deeper level. It's like, you know, when you think about conflict and things that go on, because we've got so much conflict in the workplace or, or potentially could have. And conflict isn't necessarily negative. In fact, we want to encourage it. Yet we need to know how to deal with that. How do I encourage someone when I'm completely not in agreement with them? And how can I open it up so that we can have an effective discussion? So it's really maybe more about when you have someone that's diametrically opposed to you, whether it's a child, a, you know, a spouse, a significant other, someone in business who, you know, you're fighting tooth and nail, how do I step back and maybe before I present an opposing view, how do I actually just say to them, mm, wow, you know, I can understand. Now, from a values, again, going back to values, from a values perspective, I see this. Let's not talk about a specific issue. You would just say, oh, I can understand how and be that, that empathetic person that that ties that connection with them. If, if I were in your shoes, I'd feel the same way. And and then go into what you've observed. Not, maybe not give your opinion right up front, but tell them maybe a story. Stories are so powerful. In fact, when we, we deal with speakers, we encourage them, the more you can use your story, sure. you're going to just be swept into that, and people will be swept into your stories too. And no one can really fight our personal experience. They may not agree with it, but the fact that you've gotten them to listen, that's the real key, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. It's it's time you went into Washington and had a chat to them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that even the stories would solve that at some level, but it would be at least a start. And that's Talk what we're about looking this for, right? Functional non-communicators. Gee. I mean, yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, it was funny. I just uh, watched a movie called The Other Son, and it was about two two boys that were born, one was um, an Arab and one was an Israeli, and somehow the babies got switched at birth. And it was an incredible experience to see how, you know, the nature versus nurture and how we grow up and how we perceive things. Yet these two families could come together so powerfully, even though they were on completely different sides. And actually, you know, there was so much hatred between the two, but yet there was yeah. this love of family, and and that was so much deeper. So if we could just get back to some of these really critical values that drive each and every one of us and tie to that, then somehow these walls that divide us, you know, I believe can be really brought down. And you and I have both spent a lot of time speaking. Um, we're both speakers, and we've both done literally thousands of presentations, but Fear of public speaking, it's it's the number one fear. More people are scared of public speaking than they are of dying, and I don't get that at all. Um, (laughs) What tips do you have for us? I'll ask you a personal question first. You put me out in front of an audience of 20,000 people, and I'm great. You put me out in front of eight people, and i am come back to being very ordinary and very nervous. Why is that? Mm, That's interesting. Yes, yeah. Um, so, for some of us, um, it's being in front of the big group. It's being watched by thousands of eyes. Yeah. And um, so, for some of us, that, that really is a bit of a, a freaking out experience. For others of us, when we get in a smaller group, even one-on-one, it can be very intimidating. But when you get into a smaller group, it's how do we really connect with them. And it's almost like melting ourselves away. So, my question for you would be, when you're in front of the 20,000, how do you feel when you're there? What is it about that that makes that easy? 
I don't know. I think it's just the adrenaline, I think. Um, your message is, is essentially the same. I just, I just find it easier. I, get, I just feel more feedback and therefore I give more. I find that if you're in a group of eight people, they tend to, or ten people or something, they tend to be um, less involved. I mean, they sit there and they, they listen, but it's not, you're, not, you're not getting any build-up of atmosphere or whatever. I don't know what yeah. it is. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and, and it's true because, you know, people will often say, you know, I you know, can do a group of 50 or I can do a group of five, which would you rather have? And with less numbers, the speaker really does have to generate a lot more energy to get the group going. Yeah. So where can you find the adrenaline in that? Where can you find the challenge? Where can you see that having eight people could be like having 20,000? And it, it's never going to be the same experience exactly, but if you can see the benefits, for example, when you've got 20,000, you can't go really deep with any person. True. But when you've got just five, you, because of all your experience, you can go so much deeper with them. And you can engage them and use their energy when you get them onto something they care about. Yeah. So maybe seeing how that can drive your adrenaline could be something to think about too. So, you know, everyone has their, their, it's almost like a combination lock, Bob. We almost have to figure out our own unique combination to motivate us to get things going. We're running, we're running very short of time, but so we all run into disagreements at work and home yeah. and everywhere else. What can we do to be more effective when we find ourselves in some form of conflict? doesn't matter what sort of conflict, but in a conflict. Oh, no. Yeah, and I think we briefly touched on it earlier, just really finding out that point of agreement that we have with the person, really being more empathetic. We, we worked with um, a huge utility company in California recently, and they were really working with their people, and they had a lot of calls that would come into their center, and people weren't really happy. And, you know, they had to be able to quickly be able to really empathize. And our reaction when someone pushes us is not to say, oh, you know, I agree with you it, or I can understand where you're coming from. It's really to fight back. Yeah. So pushing and pushing doesn't help. Yet people have been trained over the years to say, oh, I can understand that, that you're blah, blah, blah. And they don't even mean it. Yeah. So if we're not going to be authentic when we really empathize with people, it's a wasted energy. And saying words for words' sake mean absolutely nothing. So as much as we can, it's really understanding. If I was in that person's shoes, what would I feel like? Okay, they may not understand or They may understand. How can I understand this? And then how can I let them express themselves? Because we know so many times if you can just genuinely listen. What is it that uh, I think Sir Francis of Assisi said it? Seek first to understand, then to be understood. So if we can adopt more of that, we'll actually get people um, perhaps over to at least being able to hear what we're saying and to take our advice and to be able to shift conversations quickly and effectively. Nikki, thanks very much for being on the show today. It's been great to speak with you. Now, if you'd like to know more about Nikki, go to Nikki Vescovi, V-E-S-C-O-V-I dot com. This is Bob Pritchard. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. And I'll be back with you in just a moment. Do you- 
want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard straight talking absolutely no bullshit tell it the way it is business show and i'm coming to you this week from sydney australia i've just arrived here from sao paulo in brazil to visit with a couple of my clients and we'll be heading back to my hometown of los angeles next week the reason i love this email segment it's because it applies equally to small businesses and to large businesses no matter what business you're in or what part of the world you're located in or where you operate from, makes no difference. My first email today is from Joshua Talbot from Lewisburg in West Virginia. And uh, interestingly, Joshua doesn't even ask me a question. He actually uses it to promote his own thoughts. But he says, Joshua writes, Dear Bob, Your show is the best show for small business on the air. It is educational and you have great guests. Well, thank you, Joshua. I appreciate it. I'm a news buff, so I thought I'd mention a few of the news apps that I have on my iPhone. They keep me absolutely up to date with all the breaking news. So, Bob, here is my list. Firstly, the Associated Press mobile app, which is free, includes a ton of news content, but it also syncs with your local news and weather. Another nifty feature is the push notifications for breaking news alerts. Secondly, the New York Times app, also free, provides access to the Times reporting on a variety of topics and you can save news articles for up to seven days. There are lots of sharing options via text, Twitter and email. And the third app I recommend is the free app from National Public Radio, which focuses on radio news with an hourly newscast and access to popular NPR radio shows. I love NPR. I listen to NPR quite a lot. If, like me, you get your news from a variety of different sources, the Fluent Newsreader, also free, is great. This app compiles news and headlines from organisations like Fox News. I can do without headlines from Fox News because they make them up. The BBC, The Wall Street Journal and USA Today. Now, if you prefer video news, then CNN Mobile App at one ninety nine is terrific. It provides breaking news alerts and local news and weather. 
The final app I have is the NS MSNBC News app, also free, which sends out breaking news alerts using push notifications. Includes material from the Today Show, NBC Nightly News, and other NBC news programming. Incidentally, did you see the um, the ratings of um, MSNBC that came out? I think yesterday or the day before. <clears throat> Not good. Not good at all. I think um, 24 hours a day politics. I think people are sick to death of it. It wouldn't be so bad if they ever got anything done. But in the US, it's a bit like in Australia at the moment and a bit like in the UK at the moment. Nothing gets done. The opposition parties are simply obstructionist, not trying to get anything done and uh, figuring that if they block you at every, um, every turn, then you probably won't get re-elected because you haven't done anything. Anyway, Joshua goes on to say, thanks, Bob, for the opportunity to get my favourite app across to your listeners. Joshua, we'll, we'll send you out a copy of um, my new book, which is Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition. It's available at bookstores. It's available at Amazon. And uh, I'm confident that you'll find it um, very helpful in growing your business. My second email today is from Catherine Dale from Madison, Wisconsin actually nice part of the world, who writes, Dear Bob, I just love your show and I, all, and I also bought your book. They've both been a great help to my business, particularly my marketing, which has improved immensely. My business has grown to the stage where I need to improve my image and have a logo developed for use in my advertising, stationery and collateral. Do you have any advice as to how I should go about this? Catherine, just for the exercise... Can you name the logos for McDonald's or can you visualise the logos for McDonald's, the Olympics and Apple? You know, if you said the golden arches, um, interlocking rings and an apple, you'd be right. But what do all these logos share? I'll tell you what they they share. They are all very simple, very memorable And they're really easily recognised. Now, part of that is because, you know, you get bombarded with it all day, every day. But um, you really need to be able to say the same thing about your own logo. Your logo is the public face of your business. So before you commit to a logo that may not impart the right message, there are a couple of points that you should consider. The first is that your logo must not be busy and it can't be confusing. If, if your logo contains a design, your business name, and importantly, includes your consumer purchasing benefit, unless they are strategically interwoven, you may be trying to communicate too much information. So keep it simple, really important. <clears throat> On the other hand, if you can combine the primary benefit of your product or service to your customer in your logo, that can really help recall considerably. <clears throat> Excuse me. The idea is to get f- first first recall brand awareness is critical. So that the moment they think of your industry, they think of you and your company, and that comes through that connection between the CPB and your subconscious mind. Um. <clears throat> you got to remember, of course, that McDonald's, the Olympics and Apple have all spent, I don't know, 
billions of dollars to get their message across. Um, the logo for the, the 2012 London Olympic Games, you know, you might remember that, it was a mess. Most people didn't know what to um, make of the abstract 2012. They made their own assumptions and it was awful. So to um, avoid these problems, keep your logo really simple, a simple but strong font, a simple image, a simple everything. Then show it to as many people as possible and get their feedback on precisely what that image and message conveys to them. Now, this is important because people interpret things very differently. And uh, you can sit there and, and think that your images and your message to CPB is very dynamic and tells exactly what you do and really gets the message across and find that it doesn't. So also bear in mind that most logos are just plain boring. The Gap, you might remember when The Gap um, tried to change its classic blue box logo to a more generic font with a smaller box. God, they copped so much flack and the company quickly reversed course and reinstated the old logo. But, God, that must have been an expensive ex lesson to learn. So in order to begin, look at all your competitors, see what their logos look like and clearly differentiate yourself from them but retaining the clean and simple philosophy. And no matter what you do, do not use clip art graphics. Your uh, logo's got to appear really professional. So your business logo, it's not the time to call in favours from friends or relatives who decided that they were really good at art school. Get a professional to do it. Catherine, you'll get the best results that will stand the test of time by hiring a professional graphic designer. You'll get an image that you can use in a variety of settings, in colour, in black and white, and it won't lose any effect or quality. Now, you know, you've spent an awful lot of time and energy planning and developing your business. The logo is critically important. You know, you need one that conveys what you're about and attracts customers. You know, you can skimp on many things in your business, but quality of staff, your logo, and your consumer purchasing benefit aren't among them. Catherine, thanks for your email. I hope my answer is of some benefit to you. And a copy of Marketing Magic, a book that I wrote a couple of years ago with Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad-Levinson, Robert Bly, and a few others, is on its way out to you, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com, follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. Don't forget to go to the website bobpritchard.com and um, enrol for my monthly newsletter. It goes out 16,000 executives across the world. And So until the same time next week, this is Bob Pritchard, hoping you have a fantastic and successful week and kick some butt. Now, remember... If you're not learning, your competition probably is. And when you meet head-to-head, -head, if they more, know more than you do, they will win. And we've all worked too bloody hard to let some other bastard win. So please, continue to learn everything there is to know about your business.
because those of you who listen to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we're all winners. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.